Today, I want us to look at what's your dash. On tombstones, not only is there the born and the death date, but on a lot of tombstones, there's an, an epitaph, a, a short saying, a short writing about a person's life, how people remembered them. I, I want to share a few epitaphs with you today that are actually true. They're on people's tombstones around the world. In a London, England cemetery, there's a lady named Anne Mann. And it says this on her tombstone. Here lies Anne Mann, who lived an old maid, but died an old man. You folks are slow. Every service is this slow, huh? Somebody told me I need to just take that one out, but I still go leave it in here, all right? Come on, she died an old man. Her name was man. Come on, people. This is also written on somebody's tombstone in Ribsford, England Cemetery. This lady's name is Anna Wallace. It says the children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife and the devil sent him Anna. (laughs) Well, well, well. I would imagine the husband left that. I don't think she requested it. This is another another epitaph. It's in, found in Union, Uniontown, Pennsylvania Cemetery. It says, Here's, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. I think the moral of his story is he needed to learn how to drive. You hear what I'm saying? That was his dash. Here's another one. Harry Smith of Albany, New York. It said, on his tombstone it says, Looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. That's all I said. (laughs) It was. Bye, 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 bye. This is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. In a Georgia cemetery, it says this on a tombstone. This is all it says. I told you I was sick. That's my favorite one, huh? I'm dead now. I was telling y'all I was sick. Now look at me six feet under. I love that. I told you I was sick. (laughs) what will be written on your tombstone? How will you be remembered? What will be your dash? I want to begin this message by letting you see an inspiring story about Jim Elliott. Check out Jim's dash. Jim Elliott was a man known both for his steadfast commitment to God and his exuberance towards life. It was said of him that Jim was impetuous but focused. Both a college wrestler and writer, his physical strength was matched by a deep introspection. It was at Wheaton College that he discovered his calling was to foreign missions and to reach Central American tribes with the gospel. While there, he also discovered the love of his life, Elizabeth Howard and they were married in 1953. Jim's love of people and passion to reach the unchurched took him and his new wife to Ecuador, where they began teaching the Bible to native tribes. While there, they heard of a famously violent tribe which no one had made peaceful contact with, called the Weodani, known by locals only as Akas, meaning savages. They were so violent that six out of every 10 deaths in the tribe were homicides. 
Jim and Elizabeth knew these were the people they were meant to reach and gathered four friends and their families and moved to nearby Shandia Mission Station. After sending the tribe many gifts via plane, they decided the time was right for first contact. The men set up a base camp near the Wayodani and had a peaceful meeting with three members of the tribe. Despite this, one of the Wayodani went back and lied to the rest of the tribe, saying the men had tried to attack them. On January 8, 1956, ten warriors returned to their base camp with spears and murdered all five missionaries. The men had guns with them at the campsite, but did not use them. Previously, they had said, we will not attack the Wayodani, even if they attack us. We are ready for heaven, but they aren't. Their love kept them from fighting back. Spurred on by her husband's sacrifice and her love for the Wayodani people, Jim's wife Elizabeth stayed in the jungle. Because she had made friends with two Wayodani women living outside the tribe, she was accepted in and began living among the very people that had murdered her husband. As she taught them the Bible and showed them Christ's love, they began to believe, and all the killings in this once violent tribe ceased. The story and sacrifice of Jim Elliott inspired an entire generation of Christians, some to go to the mission field and many more to live a more mature and sacrificial Christian life. In a passage in Jim's diary, he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was Jim Elliott's dash. That was Jim's dash. What will be your dash? What will you be remembered for? I hope you'll be remembered for point number one in your bulletin notes, in your sermon notes. I hope you'll be remembered for the most important thing in life, and that's loving God. Loving God. My prayer for myself and for you is that we are people that are known for loving God. And you say, Pastor, no problem, man. That, that's easy for me. I love God. I mean, I, that, that, that's, that's a sense. It's wrapped up in a bag, piece of cake. I love God. Really? Do, do you really love God? Is loving God like loving Brahms ice cream? You know, you used to love Rocky Road and now you love cookies and cream. You know, is loving God like loving the Chicago Bulls? Back in the day, I used to love the Chicago Bulls back when they had Michael Jordan and and Scottie Pippen, I was a I was a Bulls fan. But before I loved the Chicago Bulls, I used to love the Los Angeles Lakers. Back when they had Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kurt Rambis and Byron Scott, I I loved the the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers. Now I don't love the Lakers. My it changed, and I don't love the Chicago Bulls. Now I love the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thunder up, KD. Come on, Westbrook. Come on, I love the thunder now. I mean, my love has changed over the years. Is, is loving God like a husband who says, I love my wife and abuses her and beats her? Is loving God like a wife who says, I love my husband with everything that's within me, but I'm leaving him for another man? Is that what it means? 
love God. You see, the word love is very loosely used in our society and culture. You know, you hear people say, I love you, man. I love you, man. Really? Do you know what you're saying? Do you understand the power and the magnitude and the significance of that little, small, four-letter word? The most important thing that could be ever written on your tombstone is that you are a man or a woman that loves God. But the question is, what does it mean to love God? What does it look like to love God? I want to answer that question for you today. I want to give you four indicators we are loving God. Four indicators we are loving God. Number one is this, when God is our everything. When God is our everything. The Bible says in Matthew 22 and verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all. Notice, not with some, not with half or two-thirds, with all your heart, with all your soul. Not some of it, with all. And with all your mind, not two-thirds, but all of your mind. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. You see, when you love God, you're consumed with God. When you love God, he is your everything. Question, is God your everything? Would you categorize your life as I'm a person who loves God with every fiber, with every muscle, with every being, with everything inside of me? I love God. That's what it means to love God, that you love him with your heart, with your soul, with, all, with your mind, with your strength, with everything. I want to give you a second indicator of, of what it means to, to love God because it's the most important thing that you and I can be remembered for, loving God. Number two is this. When God is first, when God is first, this means nothing comes before your relationship with God. God is the number one priority in your life. He's He's first. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Pretty strong words. And what Jesus is saying is simply this. When he says you have to hate brother, sister, mother, wife, Jesus is saying that if you study that out, it simply means to love less. And Jesus is simply saying, listen, if you love me, if you love your heavenly father, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, nothing else can come before your relationship with me. Not father, not mother, not brother, not wife, nothing. I will not take second place. And if you really love me, I'm your top priority. I'm number one. I'm first in your life. I like what A.W. Tozer says. He says the first and greatest commandment is to love God with every power of our entire being. Where love like that exists there can be no place for a second object. He's simply saying this. Nothing can come before your relationship with God. If you love God, he's your everything. He's first. He's number one. Some of you today, you would say, you know what, Pastor? Some of you watching online would say, a boyfriend or a girlfriend is coming ahead of Jesus. 
Maybe you're compromising in the relationship. Maybe you're dating somebody who's not a, a follower of Jesus, and you know what the Bible says, and yet you're, you're doing what you want to do, and that, that person is ahead of God. Maybe it's a husband or a wife, your spouse. You put your spouse ahead of your relationship with God. Maybe it's your children and you have a kid-centric home and everything revolves around the kids and you put them on a pedestal and, and they come before your relationship with your heavenly Father. Maybe it's a job and you're wrapped up in your career. You're wrapped up in your job and, and that your job consumes you and it's all about your job and work and climbing the corporate ladder and that has come before your relationship with God. Maybe it's the pursuit of money. The pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of happiness. And if you really look at the content, at the quality, at the character, at, 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 at your life as a whole, you would say, you know what, Pastor, if I'm honest, Jesus is number three, number five, number ten. And he says, listen, if you, if you love me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, I don't settle for second or third or fourth on your list. I'm number one. There's, there's a third indicator that we're loving God. Number three is this. When we follow God, no matter what. Luke chapter 14 and verse 27 says, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And today in our, in our society, in our culture, we, we wear crosses around as, as jewelry. You know, we might have a necklace as a cross or maybe a bracelet with a cross on it. I, I even got a cross on my shirt today. I mean, we your cross today, we, we wear them and they, they signifies hope. We, we think about Jesus. He died on the cross, but he rose again on the third day. And there, there's hope when we see the cross. But can I tell you, in Jesus' day, the cross did not signify hope. In Jesus' day, a cross meant you were going to die. You see, in people in that day, that's how they died. That was the death penalty. They would, be die, they would die. A murderer, a rapist would be hung on a cross, and they would give their life. They would die on a cross. It would be like you and I wearing a death, uh, the, the, the death chair on our around our neck where people die on death row it'd be like us wearing a needle a little small needle of the lethal injection people get on death row come on wear that around your neck and see what people have to say to you and that's what it was like in Jesus when Jesus said that that was the imagery he was using that's what he was saying pick up your cross you know what people do on a cross Jesus was saying they die and Jesus says if you love me if you want to be my disciple it will be because you die you die to yourself. You die to your flesh. You see, loving Jesus means you don't get everything you want. You don't do everything you want. You don't go every place you want. It means you don't call the shots anymore. It means you pick up your cross and you die to your flesh and your wants and your desires because loving God is a daily death. If I don't get what I want, I do what you want. I live to please you. Then I'm a disciple. Then I love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. See, you say, Pastor, what does it mean to, to love God? Let me give you a fourth indicator, a fourth indicator. And that is when we obey God wholeheartedly. The Bible says in John 14, verse 15, the words of Jesus, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. You will obey what I said in the Bible. You will obey the Holy Scriptures, the, 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 the Holy Word of God. And, and sometimes I, I find it humorous, but more than that, I find this heartbreaking. 
when people say things like, you know, me, me and Jesus, we just, we're just, we got a special relationship. You know, the, the Lord knows my heart. You know, I, I, I kind of do whatever I want to do, but the Lord understands. Jesus is my homeboy. And that's kind of how we roll. We're close like that. You know, I, I obey Jesus sometimes, but then sometimes I don't. I, I obey the word of God sometimes, but sometimes I don't. And, and God understands because we're, we're close like that. Really? Because Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you love me, you obey my commands, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. No picking and choosing the parts of Scripture that you like and don't like. I like this, so I'm going to take it. I don't like that. No, 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 no. If you love me, you obey my commands. I really like what Elizabeth Elliot said. This is the missionary you saw a few moments ago, Jim Elliot's wife. And she said, when obedience to God contradicts what I think will give me pleasure, let me ask myself if I love him. Wow. Because if we love God, we obey his commands. That's what it means to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our minds. Point number two. Because there, there's a second thing that, that I hope is written on your tombstone. That, that first of all, he or she was a person who was just in love with Jesus Christ. They, 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 they loved God. I hope you're also remembered for loving people. Loving people. Loving God and loving people. You see, loving people is so critical. It's, you see, the first commandment is to love God. But the second commandment, Matthew 22 and verse 39 says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, loving people is an extension of loving God. Jesus couldn't give us the greatest command without also giving us the second greatest command because the two are completely intertwined. If you love God, you will love people. You love God, you will love people. Loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. The Bible says it like this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 21. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Not an option. If you love God, you must love people. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And you see the two are intertwined. If you love God, you love people. Here's what I know. When you love God right, you'll love people right. If you don't love people right, you don't love God right. The two are intertwined. Come on, look at your neighbor right now. I want audience participation. Come on, 100% participation. Just turn to your neighbor and just tell them this. Just come on, say this with me. You have to love me. Come on, tell them. Come on, come on, tell them. You, yeah, that's right. You have to love me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, look at your neighbor now and roll your eyes and say, I guess I have to love you too. Come on, go ahead. That's right, yeah. Yeah, come on, roll your eyes. And say, yeah, I guess I got to love you too. The preachers, I'm talking about if I don't love you, I don't love God. I guess, I guess I have to. The two are intertwined. If you love God, you love people. But the question is this. What does it mean to love people? What does it look like to love people? Jesus was asked that question. 
And he addressed it in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. This is an expert in the law. One of the, he, asked, he posed the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And he begins to give this explanation. He answered the expert in the law, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have cor- answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. In other words, he was thinking, you mean I got to love everybody? There are some people I don't know that I want to love. So now, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Can I tell you? Bad question. The question is not who is my neighbor. The question is, am I being a neighbor? Am I loving people the way that God called me to love people is the better question. And Jesus answered his question. Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We would use the verbiage today in our society. He was in critical condition. He needed to get rushed to the emergency room. He was about to die. And the Bible says in verse number 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, a religious person, a spiritual leader, a minister. We, we would surely think this person would help. So it's going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, that somebody of the same tribe, this, this uh, Levite was a Jewish person. No doubt Jesus was talking about a Jewish person in this story. Somebody from the same culture, from the same tribe. When he came to the place and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, a Samaritan, someone of a different tribe, a different culture, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him and took pity on him. I want you to notice this, that when you really love people, you care about what they're going through. He took pity on him. And every day, you and I are faced with a choice. Every day when we see people that are hurting, maybe at the workplace, hurting in the neighborhood, hurting at the school, hurting at the ball game, they're down and out. We have a choice. We can either do like the Levite and the priest and go on the other side of the road and pretend like we don't see it. It's not there. We don't know what's going on. Or we respond because we love God, which means we love people and we respond with compassion. Oh, we can't help everybody, but we ought to help somebody. And when you really love God, you love people. And when you love people, you don't just walk past them. You don't just say, I don't give a rip what's going on in their life. You care about what's happening to people. And this man had pity. He cared. Now, I want you to see a a second thing. It says that he was a Samaritan. And this guy was no doubt a Jew. And if you study this, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They argued, they fussed, they fought, they did not like each other. And Jesus is conveying a very powerful point here. When you really love people, you love people that a lot of people wouldn't even like. How many know there's some people that you have to love that you may not like? Oh, come on, don't get super spiritual with me today, huh? 
How many of you know there's some folks that just get on your nerves? How many of you know what I'm talking about, huh? Not just on your nerves, but get under your nerves. You know what I mean? Get all on top, get on top of your nerves and dance. You know what I mean? Just irritate the fire out of you. How many of you just know some people that get on your nerves? You might be sitting next to somebody right now. Come on, just wink at me like this. And don't raise your hand, wink. I feel you, yeah, yeah. There are people that get on you, but listen, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a Samaritan and a Jew, and they don't get along, and they argue, fuss, and fight, but when you love people, you love people that may be unlovable. You love people that may not be the most likable, because that's what you do when you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is you love people, even that may get on your nerves. Now, I want you to notice this, that the Samaritan and the Jew that Jesus brings out in this story, they were different from one another. No doubt they had different thinking patterns, opinions. The Samaritan more than likely had a different belief system when it came to religion and God. And yet the Samaritan loved this person. Can I tell you that? That's what we do when you love people. You love, come on, we're not just called to love other Christians, but we're called to love our world. We're called to love people who don't know God. We're called to love people who are far away. We're called to love everybody. We're called to love people that are different from us. An application for us today would be, you know, oftentimes you see Republicans don't like Democrats, and Democrats don't like Republicans, and Independents don't like Republicans or Democrats. They argue, fuss, and fight, and don't get along, and they hate each other. Can I tell you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to love everybody. We can have a different opinion, but we ought to, we're called to love every person, whether they share our opinion and values or not. We're called to love people. We're, we're called to love people. Come on, we're called to love. That's one thing I love about this church. We're called to love people, whether they're black whether they're white, whether they're yellow, whether they're brown. We're called to love each other, whether you're dark brown, dark black, white, lily white, pink. We're called to love one another. We're called to love one another. Don't talk about, you know, I hate such, such color. I hate them, but I love me some Jesus. No, you don't. No, you don't. I don't know where you got that from. It's not in the book. We love people whether they are different economic statuses than us. You know, the rich, if you love, you ought to love the poor, and the poor should love the rich, and the middle class should love the rich and the poor, and love each other too, amen? We ought to love each other. Can I tell you, anybody can love somebody just like them. But it takes God, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to love somebody different than you. And that's what we're called to do. And Jesus said the Samaritan loved the Jew and reached out. It goes on to say in verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. I want you to notice this. This loving people means we go the extra mile. Can I tell you that this man, Samaritan, could have easily put oil and wine in, put bandages on him, make sure the man's not in critical condition anymore, kind of take care of him for a few moments, get him, give him a few crackers and some water, and say, God bless you, sir. You're going to be okay now. And he'd have been justified. Sure was a lot better than the priest and the Levite. But he went the extra mile. Because that's what you do when you love people. See, I'm not leaving you here. Come on, get on my donkey. Get on my donkey. And that means he had to walk. And he took the man to an end. No doubt he had a schedule. He had things to do. He had places to be. He didn't have a whole day to waste. But he took him. He inconvenienced himself. And matter of fact, he stayed overnight and took care of this man because the next verse says the next day 
He stayed overnight to care, to make sure he was okay, to make sure he wasn't going to die. Because, listen, when you love people, you inconvenience yourself. You go the extra mile. It goes on to say in verse 35, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And I tell you that loving people means giving of our resources to help meet needs, to help take care of people, to help love people. That's what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. There are some people that, that ask us and think we're crazy. I mean, what's, what's wrong with this people's church? Why in the world would you buy backpacks and school supplies for almost 2,000 kids and spend almost over $56,000 when it's a downturn in the economy and things don't look great. What's wrong with you crazy people? Why would you help somebody? You're not even going to get anything in return. You know, I Because mean, that's what you do when you love people. You meet needs. You help. You make a difference. You love people. No, 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 I'm going to take them to the end. I'm going to pay for between, between 30 to 60 days is worth of lodging. I'm not going to get anything back from this man, but it's not what I'm going to get back. It's about loving people. And then he goes on to say in verse 36, which of these do you think, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And I say to you today, People's Church, to those watching online, go and do likewise. Can I tell you, when we love God right, we love people right. And if something's wrong with the way that we love people, something is wrong with the way that we love God. And it's my hope, it's my prayer that your dash on your tombstone, it will be written, he she was a person that loved God and loved people and made a difference. Because when you love God and you love people, you'll make a difference. Just like this man did in the story, he made a difference. And when you love God and you love people, you'll make a difference in your home, in your neighborhood, in Oklahoma City, in America, in the world. Because you can't help it. When you love God and love people, you will make a difference. And I would love for it to be written on my tombstone. Herbert Cooper loved God. He loved people. And he made a difference. What will be your dash?